All right. So just suppose that you were accused by your parents of doing something. Like, let's say there's a laptop in your house. So it's something worth some value. And you came up and you were accused of touching it and breaking the screen. <laughs> but you didn't do it. But they don't believe you. So how do you feel about that? What is going to be your reaction? Angry? Annoyed. Uh, I was so very upset that they did not trust me. Okay. So you. So and you're upset. So what are you going to do? What to express your upsetness? Yeah, <laughs> go find who did it. Crush their little necks or something, right? <laughs> All right, so let's say you were accused of something, the very same thing, the laptop broken, and you did do it. What would be your reaction? <laughs> right, right, right. So you got one of two. I would think you have one of two good reactions typical that come out of that. You're accused and you are guilty. Guilty. What what are you gonna do? You got one or two things you're gonna do. One, deny it. Okay. So and are you gonna so you're gonna say lots like the injustice of it all and you're gonna be really loud about it, right? So loud, deny, right? Injustice, how dare you accuse me of breaking something like that because I would never do something like that and you keep talking, right? Or... Right, right. It's an option. It's an option. And that's a good option and I'm glad that you would that you would think that. But say you're not going to own up to it. So you're either going to be loud or you're going to be really quiet, right? You just... You figure the less you say, the less you can be incriminating yourself, right? right? You're like, do we have a laptop? You know, something like that. (laughs) And by laptop, you mean, I don't know. So those are the options, and those are pretty much the way that people do it. When they have a guilty conscience, they do one of two things. They're either very quiet say a thing. They don't want to deal with it. Or they are very loud and they, it's unjust and I can't believe you're going to do this and they get physical sometimes. Alright? And that is exactly what happens beginning this new series. We're going to start a new series, a brand new book in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Thessalonians. There you go. Probably one you've not done. There's a, there's the Gospels and then the Book of Acts, which we will go into a little bit today as well to fill in the story. Then there's Romans and the smaller epistles, that's a letter, and then First and Second Thessalonians. Okay, there's four smaller epistles, I believe. I didn't ever count them, but that's my guess. 
All right? So in kind of near the end of the New Testament, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, they go to a town called what? A place. The Thessalonians live in Thessalonica. Yes. All right? Thessalonica. And it's spelled just like it sounds from Thessalonians, okay? They live in a little town called Thessalonica. So here's what you need to know when we start. Now, after Jesus dies and is resurrected, Paul is persecuting the church for some time. And by persecuting, he is literally going with written papers from the doctors of the law, those who are in charge at least of the religious world, uh, in as much as he is going to persecute people and or even kill them. And we know it gets that bad because they kill a young man named Stephen who's 17 years old and he stands up for what he believes and they stone him to death. And Paul, maybe a little too snobby to throw a stone, holds all the coats. Let me hold your coat so you can get a good aim and a good swing with those stones while they kill this young 17-year-old boy because he stood for Jesus. All right? And Jesus did an amazing miraculous thing, gave him a vision into heaven, and he spoke about it while he was being stoned to death. Paul watches this, and something begins to irk him inside. Paul then is on his way to a, a, a region, a city called Damascus, okay? And Damascus is famous for a few things today. The Damascus steel, okay, is one of those famous things that comes out of Damascus which is fancy folded up steel, um, and other things. But Damascus is still to this day a region that exists, okay? I believe it's north of Israel, all right? So it is where he's headed outside of Jerusalem, outside of Israel, to go get people that are fleeing from him. He's going to go get them, even though they ran away. So he is... Angry. It says he's breathing out threatenings and slaughter. And on the way to Damascus, God, through a voice and a power unseen, stops him, crushes him to his knees, basically, and lays him down there and makes him blind and speaks to him. Okay? And says, Paul, it's really hard for you to kick against the pricks is what, what it says. Now, the pricks are basically a goad. Now, a goad is a long, pointed, sharp stick that they would use to help uh, oxen go one way or another. So if the oxen turns this way, you poke it on that side of the butt, and it says, oh, I'm turning this way. And then you poke it on the other side, and it goes that way. All right? Especially when they are uncooperative. Now, a goad is a teaching tool for them to say, do this, don't do this. When I say this word, you go this way. The idea is they learn from that short, sharp pain and then turn that way, and eventually they just learn the word, and you don't have to use the goad anymore. God is saying, I'm goading you, Paul. Turn this way, turn this way, turn this way, turn this way, and what are you doing? Kicking me and kicking me and kicking me fighting against me. He 
says, but it's hard for you to do that. You just can't quite get it all together. The more you fight, the harder the fight is for you. And Paul is converted to knowing Christ on that road to Damascus there. He is blinded for three days. Eventually, and so he's led this man who, who is in charge and knows everything and is going to do it. Not a big man, small man, but kind of maybe a Napoleon kind of guy where I'm going to show you what I can do even though I'm small. Okay, he had a big personality. God took him out and, and taught him some things for a few days before he ever got his sight back. Finally, when his sight came back, there was a, a man that we never meet again. A guy, I think his name was Ananias, came in, basically prayed with Paul, and there were scale-type things that fell off his eyes, and he could see again. But they said, and, and this is what we believe, his eyesight was never the same as it was before. And they think that he had eye issues where you had constant running of your eye. It was an uncomfortable thing for him. And we know that his eyesight was bad. Even in the book of Galatians, he writes it and says, I'm writing, I'm writing this by myself, by my own hand. I don't have a scribe that's taking down what I say. And because of that, I'm writing in big letters. Scribe was trained to be nice and neat so that they could put what they needed to in a small spot. Well, Paul couldn't see. So he's writing in big letters because he's really angry when he writes the book of Galatians. Okay, And he wants to get this thing. He does not have time to do it in a formal way. This is a book in, for, for the people in Thessalonica. It is one of the very first ones that he wrote. Okay, So Paul took journeys. And here's what you need to know. Normally, we have our little map. Normally that map goes like something like this. And we have the Red Sea, right? And this is Nile River. And this is Jordan, okay? And this is Dead Sea. And this is Galilee, Sea of Galilee. Okay? So this is Jerusalem in there. And Damascus is like up there, okay? Now, this is all called Asia Minor, all the way up here, and it kind of wraps around, and there's some shorelines, okay, all the Mediterranean Sea, and then there's this other thing, kind of comes down here, and then if you were to go further, eventually, you'd get into Italy, okay, with the boot, okay, and Sicily, they can't draw because they ran out of room, so either way, okay, this is all the Mediterranean Sea. Not drawn to purpose. Close. You know. So <clears throat> his first missionary journey comes from Jerusalem, goes up into here, and basically he returns. His second missionary journey, he comes up through, leaves these towns. One of them, he actually went into one of them where they stoned him and left him for dead. They literally dragged him outside the wall. I think it was in Lystra or Derby, one of the two. They were like twist, twin sister towns there. They dragged him outside of the wall and said, he's done. He's dead. But he woke up later, okay? And he wasn't quite dead. And I bet you it hurt for a long time, okay? Beat to death. 
nearly beat to death. Now, his second missionary journey, of which he makes four in the end, he comes up through those same towns. Paul's not really afraid. He doesn't care what happens to him. He knows what he's done to other people. And now he takes that very same boldness and he puts it in, in living for Christ. Okay? So he ends up in a place, and some of you guys got your Bibles, your maps. He ends up in a city here called what? Starts with a T. No, not Thessalonica yet. Troas. Troas, okay? Had it written down there before you guys looked, but that was great. Okay. <laughs> I want you to see it. It says Paul's missionary journey, and I have a bunch. It's excellent. It's excellent. So, Troas is a place where it happens. Now, this is a dividing line. Somewhere up in here is a dividing line, and this becomes actually, there are some kind of seas and gulfs. I think there's a. Aegean Sea yep. is up there, and there's some gulfs and different things that kind of work their way up. So this is Asia Minor. This is what? It's going to give you several names, but what do you know it as? Most common. Starts with a G. Greece. Greece. Okay. Also known as Macedonia at the time. All right. Also known as the Peloponnesian. Peninsula, okay, and then there's some other regions that you'll see in there, but basically Asia Minor and Greece are separate. He gets up into Troas, and Troas all of a sudden has a, he has a dream, and the dream says to Paul, you must go to Macedonia, or you go to Greece. And so he drops every plan that he has. Because my guess is he was going to keep going down this coast and work through Asia Minor. Lots and lots of towns, lots and lots of places to stop. He had gone through on a circuit. From here, he ends up going up to a spot up here. Can you see the first spot he lands, the first big city? Philippi. So he crosses over into Greece. And in Philippi, something happens. He meets a young lady. And the young lady is being used. All right? The young lady, somewhere in her life, met up with some bad choices, made some bad choices, and worked with some very dark, evil forces agreed to allow them into her life, and so she became possessed by a demon. And with this demon, she was able to at least convince enough people that she could give them the future. All right? It was enough, uh, I would say, probably wisdom of human characteristics that a demon can say, I know what's going to happen next, because they've seen humans for ages and ages and ages fall and do the same thing and fall into the same traps and do the very same things. He says, that's what's going to happen. So with this little, I'll tell you your future, along came a couple of guys and said, we own this girl. And we are going to use her as a sideshow. And everybody's going to come to her 
get their fortunes told. I'm going to tell you what your future is going to be. All right? People loved it. They all wanted to know what's going to happen in my future. So they'd go to this girl, and this girl would pay, or they'd pay these guys who owned her. They enslaved her. All right? Paul came in, cast out the evil spirit, and all of a sudden, the money source was gone. They were mad. So they had Paul beaten for taking away their livelihood and put into prison. Paul and Silas. His, he had a traveling companion, Silas, sometimes called Sylvanius as well. Paul and Silas are in the prison in Philippi, locked in stocks, sitting on the floor. They would sit on the floor, and they'd be one big board with stocks, and they'd bend and sit like this, and the, the, the stocks would be over their legs and over their hands. So they'd be bent in like a, a crouched, sort of bent over position. Now, I don't know if they were necessarily they were probably sitting on the floor with this, and they just lock them there and leave them there. Days, whatever. Pretty uncomfortable, very uncomfortable after a few hours. They got to midnight, and Paul and Silas, both being locked in stocks inside an inner prison, decide, let's sing some songs. So they do. They sing songs. And all the prisoners around have been listening. And when all the prisoners around hear them, they're like, there's a couple of whack jobs in that inner prison. Man, I don't know what's wrong with them. And all of a sudden, they're listening, listening, listening as they sing. It's about midnight. All of a sudden, the earth starts to shake. The prison shakes apart. And all those locked doors, in a strange, weird thing, all the prison doors go, open up. All the prisoners are free. Now in Philippi, in Greece, when you were a person that was responsible for a jail, you and your family lived in the jail. And that was true up through in America as well. Okay, a lot of the early jails, the jailer house was attached to the jail cell for the town. Okay, so you would your family would be right there and you'd walk down a hallway and there's there's prison cells. Okay? Um, so a very interesting and different thing. Now the jailer, if he loses one of his prisoners, the government from Greece comes and kills him. You failed. You're done. You can't be trusted anymore, so we'll kill you. All right? So there's motivation, right? To keep your, <laughs> let's keep your prisoners in those cells, right? We'll pay you well if you do well, and if you don't, we'll kill you. So it seems like an easy choice if you get to be a jailer. The Philippian jailer believes that he is, that all his prisoners left, and he's, he's going to kill himself. He's going to jump on his own sword. But instead, Paul calls out and says, hey, we're all here. We're all here. So the, the jailer brings Paul and Silas up into his own house with his own family, washes their wounds, feeds them, takes care of them. All the people in the jail are still there never left, all right? And then they go on their way from Philippi. They stop at one more or two more small stops, and then they end up in our book, in the town of Thessalonica. Okay? Town of Thessalonica kind of worked their way around, and there's the town of Thessalonica. <clears throat> now, again, 
He's just been beaten and put in prison. This is probably literally a few days after. And if you've been beaten with a cat of nine tails, the idea is not that it welts your skin up, but that it rips your skin open. So your back is covered in open, long, ripped open wounds. All right? Nothing comfortable about that. Ever been in the Middle East? I have not, but it's an awful hot and dry place. All right? You don't want the sun to get on those types of things, and you don't also want to have any clothing touch open wounds like that. So there's no comfortable thing to be. But Paul and Silas are on their way to the next town. They have got a purpose and a mission. They stop in Thessalonica, and that's where our story begins. So while they are there, we're going to turn to Acts chapter 17 first. Keep your finger in Thessalonica. Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, go back to Acts chapter 17, and we're going to see the story of what happens when they chapter 17, and follow along here, um, follow along, I'll read a few verses here. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went into them three Sabbath days and reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas. Out of the devout Greeks, a great multitude and of the chief women, not a few. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. All right? What's being lewd mean? Pretty low-end, scummy guys. All right? Scummy guys. That's what it, lewd fellows of the baser sort. And if you're a base type person, that means that you are the scum of the earth, okay? <laughs> these are these guys. They found a bunch of nasty guys, and they're going to go do something to Paul and Silas, all right? Lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason, that's where they're staying, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they had found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, these have turned the world upside down and are and come hither also, whom Jason hath received. And these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken the security of Jason and the other, they let them go. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. All right, so he comes into the town of Thessalonica and begins to preach. He is there for three Sabbath days, which means he is in Thessalonica for how long? Three weeks, right? Three weeks he's there. Three weeks 
he is in the synagogue. So he goes to the church, the Jewish church, where he is, and he begins to tell the people in Thessalonica about Christ. And when he tells them about Christ, the Jewish people are angry. Now, there are some Greek people who are not... Now, Again, this is a mixed culture in this town, right? So every little town has a synagogue, which is where the Jews worship. But there are Greeks that live in the town that don't worship God at all, all right? And they're not interested in Jewish faith. But they hear what Paul has to say. Because Paul's not just preaching on Sunday, although he's reasoning with them to try and say, look, Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. Here's what it talks about in Isaiah. This is what he did, okay? Their Bible at the time is the Old Testament. So he's saying, Jesus came and fulfilled this. This is him. They don't want to hear it. They won't read their Bible. They won't look at things. They're just angry. There's a bunch of Greeks that are believing with Paul. And there are a bunch, a group of women, okay, that believe that probably are Greek as well. Right? So it specifically calls out that group because they're oftentimes, as Paul moves through these cities, sometimes it's the women who believe, and sometimes it's almost only the women who believe to begin with. And they change the town after Paul leaves. So Paul is there for three weeks to tell this truth. And then these guys, these lewd fellows of the baser sort, okay, come in and they want to kill him. He's staying in a house. He and Silas are staying in a house of a man named Jason. And Jason, they come to his house to find him. Well, Jason's already onto their scheme, and he's hid them somewhere. And then during the night, they sneak Paul and Silas out and say, you got to leave. They won't kill you. And that's it. That's his whole experience in Thessalonica. He wants to go back. Paul's not afraid, and Paul did choose to move on, okay? Sometimes he got that close to death that it was, you got to get out of here. The water's almost boiling, and they're ready to throw you in the pot. So you got to move on until things cool down a little bit. So out he goes to the next town, and it says about the next town, those people are reasoning in the scriptures. It says they're more noble than the people in Thessalonica. People in Thessalonica are not learners. The Jewish people, the people that came after him, the angry people. They're not learners. They're not, they're not interested in finding out whether Jesus really is, is truly uh, the Messiah. They don't want to read this. They just want them to go away. And they're angry about it. But later on, in a little while, as Paul comes back around and continues his missionary journey, eventually he works his way down, comes back through, and then heads back to Jerusalem, where almost all of his missionary journeys end. Um, he, except the very last one. Uh, so he moves on, but he writes this letter, 1 Thessalonians. Okay? Here is what we see. Now let's go to 1 Thessalonians, chapter 1, and verse 1. I'd like you to read, please, verse 1. Paul and, 
Sylvanus, which is Silas also. Timotheus, unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so they pick up another young man along the way. He's a half Greek, half Jewish man. Uh, he's pretty young. They think maybe late teens. He eventually becomes a pastor, okay? And that's who Paul writes the book of Timothy, First and Second Timothy, to, is this young man, Timotheus, okay? Or short, Timothy for short. So I want you to know, he says, that this is the foundation of what you have. Now, we talk about the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and there's an interesting way to think about them, the Father and the Son. Here's one thing. Here's God. <laughs> because he's this unknown being that we want to get close to. And, and he gives himself the, the name of the Father, right? And so that you say, well, I, I want to be drawn to this God, the Father, but I have no way to get there. And so Jesus, the Son, becomes bridge because here he's way up there all right and we're way down here okay for illustration here i am i can't get to god the father without the son so he becomes the way for us to get to god the father we god could draw us to him but without a pathway to get there we can't do it so Jesus is the way through being dressed in his righteousness, him dying on the cross and being, uh, being uh, alive again. He gives us a pathway to get to God. The Holy Spirit then is in us, pushing us to take that pathway each day. All right? And it becomes this all around us, God is there saying, come to me. I've given you every opportunity, I've given you every drive, I've given you the way, just do this. That's the basis of understanding for what faith is, okay? What, what God has done for us. So let's go to verse number two and three, please. All right, and so here's his very first thing he says, and he says, I want you to know that I am praying for you. Even though I was pushed out of the town, even though I had to go under the cover of darkness, I have been thinking about you and praying about you since then. God reminds me, you're on my mind. This small, young church, three weeks is all they ever heard him. They were with him for three weeks, and he becomes a great leader, puts a church on its feet and says, go. And so they're young. They've got a lot to learn. They've got a lot to look forward to. 
So this is the big thing with the book of Thessalonians. We had to get some background in. We have to get you up to the place where you understand what happened in, in Thessalonica. All right? He got pushed right out, but he's saying, I want to be with you. I want to come back to you, but God has taken me to these other places. He continues to move me. I hope that we come back, but I want you to know that I'm thinking of you the whole time. I want you to know I want to be back there, but I'm thinking about you and I'm praying for you. Keep God ahead of you. Keep working to get nearer to God. Remember the basis of what you're going to do. We're going to see some great doctrines, some great thoughts, some great exciting things in the book of Thessalonians. All right? He is going to talk about stuff because he didn't get the chance to when he was there for such a short time. He is going to talk about when Christ comes again. He is going to talk about the resurrection of the body. He's going to talk about that trumpet calling, okay? So he's going to talk about a lot of different things, but he's trying to give, make sure that you stay in on that right track. And that's what we're going to do to start Thessalonians out, get you on your feet and say, here's what's happening. And next week we'll continue on. Thank you very much.